Well, good morning, church. Hope everybody had a good Christmas because it's over, okay? Christmas is done. It's in the past, and it always happens so fast, right? There's always this anticipation. There's always this buildup for the Christmas season. I mean, now, like, Walmart's putting out Christmas decorations in, like, August. You ever noticed on the radio, like, mid-October, we've already got the Christmas songs blaring. Black Friday creeps into Thanksgiving closer and closer, which gets me riled up, and that's a different sermon, okay? But there's always this, this buildup, and you can ask any kid in any time in December, how many more days until Christmas? Now, these are the same kids that can't remember when their homework is due, whether or not you told them to take out the trash, right, the names of their siblings, and yet you ask them, when is Christmas? And they'll be like, it's 21 days, 4 hours, and 39 seconds, right? They know. They know. But who's counting, right? So there's can't sleep the night before, right, because the next day you got the big three gifts, goodies, and gluten, right? Come on, come on, Christmas Day. Then there's all this buildup, all this hype, but the second Christmas is over, the second it's done, it's like it's 12.01, and I'm like, why are the decorations still up, right? Like, you just feel like it's, it's a thing of the past. All of a sudden, all the cards and lights, they just kind of feel dated. I was driving the day after Christmas, heard the Christmas songs on the radio, and I'm like, why? Right? This is, this is over. It's not Christmas anymore. And we can get the feeling of, of a letdown at the end of Christmas, the day after Christmas. We can many times feel like this little guy right here, right? Worn out, exhausted. There's a major letdown. And now all we've got the day after Christmas is we're 10 pounds overweight and broke, right? So now we're looking forward to our New Year's resolutions, right? We're going to save money. We're going to lose weight. We're going to try that workout diet thing for like 10 and a half days. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Christmas buzz is over. And so we're going to kind of chase the next thing. Christmas didn't bring me all the satisfaction I was hoping. So maybe the next thing will. And we pursue the next thing. My, my favorite sports writer, his name is Bill Simmons. And he's a, he's a Red Sox fan. And like many Red Sox fans, they had experienced, they had not won a World Series since 1918. And for 86 years, these fans went through losing season after losing season, heartache after heartache, and then finally, in 2004, down three games to nothing to the Yankees, they have this epic comeback, they win the pennant, they go on to win the World Series, and at long last, Bill Simmons' favorite team has won it all. And he wrote this book. And the book was called, Now I Can Die in Peace. And he actually uses, you can't really read it, but it says, how the sports guy found salvation through the 2004 Red Sox. So what this guy is saying is, now I can die. My life can be finally over. I have all the satisfaction I need because a bunch of random dudes wearing matching uniforms touched a white base more than the other guys with matching uniforms. Like, really? That's what's going to bring you satisfaction? But you know what happened in Bill's life? Since 2004, the Red Sox have won three World Series. And if you'd ask him today, he said, well, you know, it got old. The next one didn't mean as much, and the third one didn't even mean as much as the second one. And he has still not found ultimate satisfaction in his life. And man, where are you this morning? You come in this morning, and, and you're looking for that satisfaction. We all are. We're looking for happiness, we're looking for comfort, we're looking for peace, we're looking for joy, and, and, and maybe you haven't found it yet. Maybe you're continuing down the road and you keep looking because every stone so far, you turned it over and, and happiness is not there. Comfort, satisfaction, not there. Maybe you've looked for it in your job. 
how successful you are. Maybe you've looked for it in how much money you make. Maybe you looked at it for how good of a person you've been. You looked at it for your, your, your marriage or the hope of what a marriage could give you, parenting or what the hope of parenting could give you. And we continue to drive down the road and look for it. And if we haven't found it, there's two areas. There's kind of two options that, that we have um, if we look in, on the, the horizon. Number one is to give up hope and to say, well, maybe that's just not for me. Maybe I just will never find the kind of life that I wanted. And it leads us to depression. It leads us to despair. Some of you might be feeling that today, a few days after Christmas. The other option is just to redirect hope. Well, that didn't work, so I'll just move on to the next thing. I'll keep looking. Or we pretend, we build this, this kind of facade to other people to make it look like our life is everything that we wanted it to be, when really inside we know that it's not. So we can experience delusion or depression. And that's what we're left with. But this morning, in God's word, I want us to show us a third option. A source of comfort and satisfaction and happiness. In fact, I believe it's the only source that's out there for us. And and this is the culmination of of a four-week series that we've been doing called Repeat the Sounding Joy. And we've been looking for this Christmas at four songs sung around the time of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Luke. And there are these four songs that were sung, and each of them kind of had a different emphasis based around who Jesus was. Mary sang this song of humility, that you would choose me to be the mother of God. Then we saw Zechariah's song of hope, that God's promises were as good as though they had already come true. And then last week we saw the angel song of harmony or of peace. And we saw there's peace on earth, wholeness for a broken world available, order for a chaotic world available through Jesus, and all the glory goes to God because the peace comes from him. And this week we're going to look at Simeon's song, the last one. Simeon's a man who's going to sing this song, and and, and the words, remember we said that each one has kind of a Latin phrase, the Magnificat or Gloria in excelsis Deo. Well, Simeon's song in Latin is Nunc Dimittis, Nunc Dimittis, which is now you dismiss, is the literal translation. What he's saying in this song is take me home, Jesus. Now I can die in peace. There's something that Simeon experiences in his life that brings him an eternal satisfaction. And he says, now I can close my eyes into death with absolute peace. And that's what we're going to read about this morning. Now, for Simeon, he's been waiting. He said, I'm waiting for this consolation or this comfort. And this word comfort in the Hebrew, it means to sigh or to breathe. So literally, Simeon's saying, Everybody do that with me. Thank you. Some of you didn't brush this morning. It's all right. We'll work through that. Um, this, I wanted to keep this alliteration, hope, humility, um, and harmony. And so this is Simeon's song of ha. That's the theological term for what we're looking at this morning. Or the other H word that we could find is happiness. Now, a lot of times the word happiness, maybe some of you are sitting in your seats going, no, 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 it's not happiness, Justin. That's not what we're put on this earth for. It's not happiness. That's, that's a temporary thing. Well, happiness gets a bad rap. Because what's wrong or right with happiness is depending on the source of our happiness. It's not wrong to be happy. Jesus in the Beatitudes said, blessed are those who, and that word blessed could also be translated happy. The question is, what are we looking for our source of happiness in? 
And the word happiness itself, it's interesting, it actually comes from the phrase happenstance or a circumstance. So if we're looking for our happiness in our circumstances, then yes, we will always be disappointed because our circumstances here on earth will never satisfy us. But there is a source available, a deeper and truer source of eternal joy and satisfaction and happiness that is available for us today. And that's what we want to look at. But the time of Jesus' birth, it was not a happy place. It was a dark world. For the modern Jew living in first century AD, and we've talked about this in our series, the people of Israel, by and large, were, were in bondage to the Roman Empire. Just the last of a series of empires that have been oppressing them. And not only that, but they're the ones that are their leaders, who are just kind of puppet leaders under the Romans, are a bunch of corrupt, worldly, hypocritical leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, most of whom are not truly walking with their God. And on top of that, we said that the last 400 years, their God has not spoken to them. He's kept silent. And so many of the Israelites, perhaps like you today, had given up hope, or they were looking for hope in all the wrong places. But God, he preserved this remnant, this faithful few who were holding out hope. Holding out hope, refusing to put their, refusing to, to put their satisfaction in anything else than the one that had been promised for hundreds of years, the promised Messiah, the coming rescuer of the people of Israel. And one of those men, one of those people, his name was Simeon. And you look at the background of Simeon's song. It says in Luke 2, 25, if you have your Bibles, you're, you're welcome to turn there, but the verses will be on the screen. Uh, it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The word Simeon, it means God who hears or, or one who hears. And we're going to see today that Simeon hears from God, that God hears the cries of the suffering of his people, and then Simeon's going to hear from that God. And it says about Simeon that this man was righteous, and devout. Now you say, wait a second. The word righteous there, it means right, right? Right in God's sight. Now you're saying, was this, is this the one guy that wasn't a sinner? Like the whole world of sinners since Adam and Eve, but then here's this one guy who's right. Well, what do we know if you read through the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament? There's only one way that sinful man can be made right in the sight of God. It's said in Habakkuk, it's said in Genesis, in, uh, in, uh, Romans, over and over again, the righteous will live by what? By faith. The only way that we can be made right in God's sight is faith in something outside of ourselves. We're not good, so we need to trust a source outside of ourselves to be good for us. So what was it that Simeon was putting his faith in? Because it wasn't himself. Well, he says in the next line, Simeon, this man who was righteous and devout, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation, the word means to console or to comfort. And for the Hebrew mind, that, that word meant to breathe or to sigh. It's this comfort to the oppressed. And these people who had been holding their breath, waiting for this Messiah to rescue them, both from the oppression without the Roman Empire and from their own sin from within to allow them to breathe again, to bring life into their dead lungs. 
And they're waiting, they're waiting. And, and Simeon here is holding out hope for his Messiah that he would come. And it goes on to say, this man who was righteous and devout, waiting for this comfort of Israel, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on to people, would fill them or enter into them for these specific tasks, these specific missions. And oftentimes, almost every time that he would fill them, there was something that they needed to say to other people, like the prophets. And so there's a specific mission that Simeon's going to have, a specific thing that he needs to say that people like us need to hear. So the Holy Spirit comes into him. And we see exactly what what he's going to tell him. And this is so interesting. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Spirit tells Simeon, you will not die until you see the Messiah, the Rescuer, the Savior of Israel. Now how cool would that be to know that you're not going to die until you see Jesus? So when your wife comes to you and says, honey, don't eat that. It's going to kill you. You go, oh yeah? <laughs> Not till I see Jesus. Okay. I mean, that'd be amazing. You can start taking all these risks, right? Skydiving, Rocky Mountain climb. Who would care? I'd start picking fights with people. Like, what are you going to do? Kill me, right? I mean, that's good. Maybe that's why he was just in devout and I wasn't. You know, it wouldn't have worked out if I was. But imagine him walking around telling people, I will not die until I see Jesus. Now, who's going to believe him? I mean, imagine John Strum walking around church today, going, I was told by the Holy Spirit that I will not die until Jesus comes back and I see him face to face. Now, maybe John's a bad example. I don't know. We, we, we love John. But we, we, what, you'd, you'd imagine we'd have haters, right? You'd have skeptics who are going, Simeon, you're crazy, man. God didn't tell you that. Doubters. But, man, to be Simeon, living in anticipation... Waking up every day going, it's today the day. It's the day the day I'm going to see the Messiah. It's the day the day I'm going to see the salvation of Israel. And, and so verse 27, it says the Spirit, he came in the Spirit into the temple. So the Spirit tells him to go to the temple. It doesn't say why he was going to the temple, but he just led him into the, the temple. And there we're going to see that not only he is there, but Mary and Joseph and 40-day-old Jesus come into the temple. Mary's coming in for a purification uh, ceremony because she had had the the baby. She was ceremonially ceremonially unclean in the Jewish law. And Jesus was going to be dedicated as every firstborn was to be. So here's Jesus in the temple being dedicated to himself, being dedicated to God. It's this crazy moment where the the temple, you remember the temple, it it, it symbolized the the presence of God, the personal presence of God that he he wasn't symbolized everywhere. It was this temple. And this is where you would go to meet God and go to worship God. And here in this temple now comes the physical presence of God in the form of a baby. And this is where Simeon will intersect with his family. And he's, now we're not told here in, in the details how he identifies Jesus like how he knows this is Mary and Joseph, how he knows this is Jesus, why Mary and Joseph would trust their newborn baby into the arms of a total stranger. Luke just sort of yada yadas over that. But what we know from this is that when God makes a promise to us, he keeps it. And he'll work out the details. He'll, 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 he knows how it's all going to come together. Our job is to trust our God, to obey him and to follow him, and to let God take care of the details. 
And I love this, this picture. I, I used it when we walked through our, our story earlier this year, but this is a, an artist's rendition, rendition of Simeon. And the look on his face of joy as he weeps for joy, holding this baby. And, and you know, to, to hold any baby is a beautiful, tender moment. It's a miracle of God. But to be looking down into your arms and seeing this 40-day-old baby boy and trying to get it into your head that this is God? That after waiting for years and years for this promise, that now you're seeing him. And we're not, Simeon may have had no idea, probably had no idea that it was going to be a baby. Like when he hears a Messiah, a rescuer is coming, what would you picture? He's probably picturing a king coming riding in on a white horse down Main Street in Jerusalem. Or he's picturing the, the heavens cracking and lightning and thunder kind of out of the sky comes God himself as a mighty angelic warrior. And he's looking down at this baby and going, how will this tiny, fragile little baby rescue us from Rome and save us from our sins? And it's in this moment that he sings this song. And the Holy Spirit speaks through him. and says, I've got some things that you need to say, Simeon. Now, we've been having different people read these songs as we've been going this week. And Simeon had no idea who he was going to run into as he walked into the temple. And I have no idea who's going to read this morning. But Luke 2, 29 and 32, what a guy, not because I'm against ladies, love the ladies, but Simeon was a guy. Okay, so is there a guy here that's got Luke 2 open that would stand up and project and read for us verses 29 through 32. The song that Simeon sings, he sings about light. And I see three things here, three ways that light shines, three people or, or situations to which that light shines. The first one is a light for Simeon's eyes. Now, he starts here, the first word that comes out of Simeon's mouth that Dan read is the word Lord. This is a term for God. And this is not just any term. The, the Greek word here was despotes. And despotes, it had this idea of the sovereign God, the God who's in charge, the all-powerful God. And as he's holding baby God in his arms, he, he sings to his father God, the one who's all-powerful, the one who can orchestrate anything in the universe that he wants to, the God that can make a promise to me and be powerful and faithful enough to keep it, that would bring us all to the specific moment where Mary and Joseph are coming into the temple for this dedication, that you would lead me by your spirit here, that we would bump into each other, that all of this would happen. That's the God that I'm praying to. That's the God that I worship. That's the God I've been banking on to be faithful to his promise for years and years and years. That's my God. And then he says to this God, he goes, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He said, you said something to me that I wouldn't die until I saw this baby. And now that I've seen him, he says, nunc dimittis which means now I depart or now you dismiss. God decides when we go home. And he says, I'm ready, God. I'm ready to come and see you now. I can die in peace. And not because the Red Sox won a World Series. And not because Christmas Day was awesome and I got everything on my wish list. 
But because why? What is it? Why can he die in peace now? He says it in verse 30. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And what's so incredible about this line He says, I've seen your salvation. What's he looking at? He's looking at the person of Jesus. He's looking down at this little baby, and he says, this is the salvation. You see, salvation, it's a person. It's a a person of Jesus. Salvation is not a, a list of facts to memorize. Salvation is not a performance that if we do enough good things, God will be like, well, i got to save you. You're amazing. Salvation is to know the person of Jesus and to enter into a relationship with him. That's the only place that Simeon or us today will find. It's the only place that will find true joy in the person of Jesus. Now, even though Simeon's looking at this child, this is still faith, right? How did he know that this was Jesus? I mean, there wasn't like a, a halo around his head. He wasn't stamped like Messiah or Yahweh or anything. Like, how, all, he can, all he knows is Mary and Joseph have said, this is the one. This is the one. But, but how does he know that what they're saying is true? How do they know what, what God is saying is true? Well, what he has to do is the same thing that you and I have to do today. He took God at his word. And he's led by the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, that's him. That's the one. And when you and I open this book called the Bible, and we read it, and God has said some things, some amazing, wonderful things about who Jesus is, and when we read God's words, the Holy Spirit, he knocks on our heart and he goes, yeah, that's him. That's the one. That's where your satisfaction is going to be found. It's in that person. What God's saying about Jesus is true. That's what the Holy Spirit does as we read. So it's salvation for Simeon's eyes, but it it goes beyond that. Jesus did not just come for Simeon. Next thing we're going to see is he's a light for the whole world. He goes on to say, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. That word means people groups. All the nations, all the people groups of the world. The salvation's for everybody. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory, for glory to your people Israel. Light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to do something here. Don't be weird. Just, just follow the directions. Okay, I want you to look at your neighbor. Now, don't, you don't have to wink at them or do anything creepy. Just look at them. Okay, look at the one guy on your left, the one on your right. Okay, you don't, might not know him. That's fine. You get to know him afterward. If you're a good Christian, you'll greet him afterward. Um, who you're looking at right now, if they're a Gentile, which probably most of us are, anybody here have Jewish descent? Anybody? Good, because that would have really messed up my illustration. No. So if you're not a Jew, like national, you know, by 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 uh, descent, you're a Gentile. So hey, Gentiles. Okay. Now, now the Gentiles just means non-Jew. So those of us in this room today, the people that you just looked at in the eyeball, that's a fulfillment of this promise. He says he revealed Jesus through, he, he, was, he was a Jew, but through the Jewish people, he was going to reveal salvation to the entire world, all peoples, the Gentiles, you and I today, in this random and recently renovated gym in Soldatna, Alaska, 2,000 years later, are a fulfillment, a bunch of Gentiles sitting in this room. Why? Because Jesus, this baby born in the Middle East, 
claimed to be God, claimed to be the savior of the world, and then his followers went and spread that news. And it spread, and it spread, and it spread. And today, we sit here, those of us who are believers and Gentiles, we are a fulfillment of the words that Simeon spoke in that temple. A light for the whole world. God loved the world. Third thing. Oh, there's the nation of Israel. A light to the world. One of the things I love about this picture is is not just his expression, but the, the baby Jesus has this light emanating from him. And you see what's kind of transposed in the background there. It's a map of the whole world. That Jesus, this little baby, was a light and a savior for every single person. Finally, he was a light for our hearts. A light for our hearts. Now, the song ends. It's this song of, the song of happiness. But then he turns to Mary. And he's got these ominous words that Simeon speaks to Mary. Look at what he says. And Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother. So this is specifically to her. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. People will oppose him as a sign. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, wait a second, what? We were talking light and salvation and ha and all these good things and and now you're talking about opposing and falling and swords coming through his mom. Like, what in the world, Simeon? And this is the first minor key in what had previously been a pretty sweet symphony that Luke was painting for us. What's he saying here? Well, notice what he says. This child is appointed, is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, the opposition. Remember what John said in John chapter 1? He came unto his own, and how did his own receive him? He says they did not receive him. They rejected him that most of the people in Israel, many of the people in Israel, rejected Jesus as their king, did not believe the claims that he made. And so here is Simeon holding this little baby in his arms. And he turns and he looks to his mother, the mother of this child. And he says, many are going to oppose your baby. It's going to get ugly. And he says to her, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, what exactly does he mean here? Now, we don't know, but but most people agree, and and I think in context, he's talking to the personal anguish that Mary is going to experience. Can you imagine being the mother of Jesus? Think about how much you love your own children. And here's Jesus, and he grows up to be a man who leaves the house he goes on this ministry that he, he's never around anymore. Remember the one time they're like, hey, your mom's here. What does Jesus say? Who are my mother and brother? They're the ones that do the will of God. I'm on a mission. Jesus isn't around very much. And then on this mission, as he goes out and preaches to the world, by and large, people reject his message. And they start hating him. And the leaders of the country start plotting how to kill him. And as his mother, she's freaking out. She's having a panic attack. My mom doesn't like me to drive to Anchorage without giving her a phone call and saying I made it safe. And I'm 33 years old. Okay? Thanks, Mom. She, she loves me. She takes care of me. And then Jesus gets taken to this sham of a trial. And they lie about him. They start to mock him, spit in his face, slap him around, start to beat him start to whip him to the point where they can't even recognize him. Imagine not being able to recognize your own son. 
And at the foot of this bloody cross, as Jesus dies the most horrific death you can imagine, his mother is at the foot of the cross weeping uncontrollably. A sword will pierce your very soul. And not only does Mary's heart bleed for the loss of her own son, but she's sitting here watching the Messiah, the long-anticipated light for her people and her, her friends and her family and her, her, her national people are rejecting Jesus. They're snuffing out their light. They say, we don't want this. And they've sent him away. They've killed him. And some say that Simeon's only talking to Mary here because Joseph was dead at the time that Jesus was crucified. Now, we don't know that. There's some early church history that indicates that. It's also suspicious that Joseph is not mentioned any time after Jesus' boyhood. So many think that he died early. We don't know that for sure. It's possible that, that he's just talking to Mary because Joseph did not go through what Mary was going to go through. But either way, whether or not Joseph suffered through this, whether or not his earthly father went through this, we know that his heavenly father did. We know that God the Father sacrificed his one and only son, that everything Mary was going through, every emotion that Mary was going through, God was going through, watching his own son murdered on the cross. And he gave up his one and only son so that you and I, Gentiles today in Soldatna, Alaska, could be called the sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And the last thing that he says, verse 35, he says, so that... So that. So here's the reason for this. Here's why there's opposition. Here's why a sword's going to pierce through your soul. Here's why there's going to be some who fall and rise. Here's the point of everything that I just said. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What in the world does that mean? So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. John MacArthur tells a story. He says, a man once took a friend on a tour through Paris, took him to the Louvre, is that how you say it, the French, the Louvre, and, sh- I nailed it. and showed him all the pictures and took him to a concert hall in Paris that night to hear a great symphony. So he shows him some of the world's greatest art, okay, both, both up on the walls and, and, and in the orchestra. And at the end of the day, he said, what do you think? What do you think of everything that you just saw? And his friend, he looks at him and he goes, eh, I wasn't that impressed. Wasn't that impressed? And I love this, his comeback. The, fr- the guy didn't say, oh, man, I guess the art's not that great. You're right. It stinks. This is what he said to his friend. He goes, well, if it's any consolation to you, the museum and its art were not on trial, and neither was the symphony. <laughs> the art doesn't care if you think it's beautiful or not. Because the art wasn't on trial. You were on trial. He says, History has already judged the greatness of these works of art and the greatness of that music. See, people have already decided, no, this is amazing. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder to a degree. They're saying, by and large, this is some of the greatest art the humankind has ever produced. He says, all that is revealed by your attitude is the smallness of your own appreciation. So he says, you didn't appreciate the art. Not the art that was on trial, you were. And as we stand before our Savior... Jesus is not on trial. We are. Jesus was who he said he was. He is the, the beautiful, 
Savior of, of the world. And as we stand before him, the question, the thing that will be revealed and exposed is the attitude of our hearts, whether or not we appreciate and believe who Jesus is. See, Jesus, he, he claimed this of himself. John said this of him. That he came as the light of the world. That's what we celebrate at, at Christmas time. Jesus came down in this dark world to Jews and Gentiles. Now, the reality of light is you only like the light exposing something if what? If you like what the light is exposing. So like some of you who, who just got off of Christmas and it looks like a bunch of elves had a tornado through your home, right? You don't want people to come over because your house is a disaster zone, Right? I don't want you to see my house. I don't want light shining in my house. I don't want it exposed. But if you just cleaned up and you just renovated your house, you know, we just redecorated the gym. It's like, hey, come on in. I want you to see. I want light to expose the beautiful house. Or maybe you just came off the holidays and you put on a few pounds, okay? And you don't want people to see your body. So you layer up and you kind of hide yourself and I don't want anybody to see this. Or maybe you've been working out and you're getting ready for that vacation in February to Hawaii and you want to get into that swimsuit or you got a wedding coming up and you want to get into that dress or, or that uh, you know, tuxedo. Um, and man, you're looking good. I'm not going to lie. You got to show the world what it's been missing, right? Well, now you want the light to expose you, right? Because you're, you're proud of what they're seeing. So that's the same thing when it comes to our hearts. If we like what's in our hearts, then we want the light to shine on it. But if we don't, then man, I not only don't want the light in, I hate the light because it's exposing me. It's called misdirected anger. And this is what John said in John chapter 3. God's light, Jesus, you can make a capital L there, he came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. Who likes darkness more than light? That's crazy. Why? For their actions were evil. The reason they hated the light, because they had sinful hearts. It says in verse 20, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. Why? For fear their sins will be exposed. See, they were afraid. Jesus is going to show us, the people of Israel, what did Jesus do when he walked around as an adult? He pointed out their hypocrisy and their legalism and their sinful hearts, and they hated him for it. They did not like what Jesus was exposing, and so they hated him. Jesus' light reveals who we really are, and one day we will all be laid bare. We cannot hide from him. We can trick each other and hide from each other, but not from Jesus. And so this gives us two options as human beings. Number one, we can embrace the bad news to be comfortably exposed in our sin and say, I'm a sinner, I'm evil, I'm a rebel against God. And believe the good news, that Jesus came to die for me as a rebel, came to, came to, to take the punishment for my evil, and that he's forgiven me and freed me of that sin so I can embrace the bad news and believe the good news, or my other option is to reject the news altogether. To, to resent Jesus as the light that's exposing me, instead of being honest with who I really am, I reject the one who's exposing who I really am. And that path, that path is not wise. The Bible tells us that path leads to death. And it leads to eternal darkness and separation from our God. You see, Christmas time, we like the idea of baby Jesus, right? Because baby Jesus, hmm, yeah, I could take a baby, right? I'm not scared of babies. He's a cute little baby, right? Away in the manger, no crying he makes, which the Bible never says that, by the way. Jesus was a baby. He wasn't a sinner, but he could cry and poop still, right? He's a baby, right? So I don't know where we get that theology. But here's Jesus in this manger. We like Jesus, baby Jesus, but we don't. Most people on earth over the course of human history have hated grown-up Jesus, have rejected grown-up Jesus. 
Because grown-up Jesus did not come just to put little sprinkles on our life and make it taste better. Grown-up Jesus came to this earth to say that we are evil and there's nothing we can do on our own about that evil. And most hated him then and most hate him now. But that's the same Savior that came to not only point out how evil we are, but came to suffer and die to take on the punishment for that evil so that we could be reconciled with our Father. Because I'm here to tell you this morning, the only place you're going to find satisfaction, the only place you're going to find to be able to breathe and have life is in your relationship with God that's made possible through Jesus. I imagine Simeon woke up many mornings thinking, man, is this the day? (laughs) Is this the day I'm going to see my salvation? Is this the day I'm going to see the deliverer? Is this the day? But you know what? I'd imagine there were also days when he woke up distracted, where he got caught up in the rat race of his life. He had a job, he had a family, he had a lot of things going on. And he would forget about this wonderful promise. Or there were days when he woke up discouraged and it had been years. And he's like, man, maybe this is a lie. Maybe Jesus isn't coming. Maybe I won't see him. Maybe I'm just going to die and then go to dust forever and ever and ever. And man, is that you this morning? We've been given a promise. The, The promise is this, Hebrews 9. He will come again. Jesus is coming back. Not to deal with our sins. Why? Because he already dealt with our sins. We're completely forgiven at the cross, amen? He came to deal with our sins once, but the second time, he comes back to bring salvation, final freedom from all oppression, from all sin, to all who are eagerly waiting for him. To who? Who is he coming for? To those who are eagerly waiting for him. And for many of us, it's easy to wake up like Simeon on some days and we're distracted. And we get caught up in our lives and we forget all about this thing this Jesus thing, this mission that we're on. Or maybe we wake up discouraged and there's things in our lives dragging us down and we go, maybe this was just a lie. Maybe this this whole thing that we've been reading in the Bible that my parents have been telling me, maybe this is a sham. And we begin to get discouraged. Maybe Jesus is never coming back. Maybe there isn't even really a God or a Jesus. But if we believe through the Holy Spirit what God said about who Jesus is, that and only that will bring us the satisfaction, the that our souls so long for. And we can say, now I can die in peace. Why? Because I know when I shut my eyes, I know what's waiting for me on the other side of the River Jordan. Most will reject him today, like in Simeon's day, but there will be a faithful few who will say, I have seen, and now I can die with peace. What will you do with the person of Jesus? Jesus is not on trial. Jesus is great. Jesus is beautiful. His work is finished. God has accepted it completely. The question is, do we believe it? Do we accept it? Are we like the faithful few or like the majority? Christmas Day comes and goes. Your favorite team will win a championship. Next year, they probably won't. We will never find satisfaction here under the sun. But in Christ... We have everything we need for today and for the rest of eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus came. Thank you that he came as a baby. 
Thank you that Simeon was able to hold him in his arms and that he saw you be so true and faithful to your promises, that he saw his salvation, that he could die in peace because he knew his Savior lived. And Lord, today we thank you that our Savior not only lived, but that he died and he rose again, conquering sin and death once and for all. And that today we wait for him to come back to right every wrong. Sin has been fully forgiven. But man, the creation groans as our hearts groan. We live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. But you've offered us peace. You've offered us hope. May we lift our eyes up off our circumstances to see our salvation, that, that he's shining light today. And hearts in this room, man, if there's someone who is be, their sins are being exposed today in the light of Jesus, that they would come forward admitting who they really are, and that there is a Savior who has offered forgiveness and freedom for them. Jesus is beautiful. May we appreciate, see, and savor who that Jesus is. It's in his beautiful name that we pray and that we worship. Amen.